0: Do you want a happy marriage? I'm pretty certain that you do. Are you aware that there is a passage in the Bible which will help you to have exactly that? There is a passage in the Bible that if you follow it, you will have all those things we just sang about in that song where love is in the home. You'll have joy and peace and bliss. There is a passage in the Bible that if you follow it, your wives will never ever again accuse you men of not loving them. There is a passage in the Bible that if you follow it, Ladies, your husbands will never ever again accuse you of not supporting or respecting them. If you follow this passage, your wives will never again accuse you of being irresponsible. If you follow this passage, your husband will never ever again accuse you of being a nag. If you follow this passage, your wives will never have problems submitting to your authority. And if you follow this passage your husbands will never ever again lord their authority over you. Do you know what passage I'm talking about? There are all kinds of passages in the Bible that talk about marriage. Passages that we've studied. Lessons that we've learned about being husbands and about being wives. We might think about Ephesians chapter 5 or Colossians chapter 3, but that's not the passage Those passages will only be followed to the extent that we're following this one most important passage. And if you follow this passage, you will have a happy marriage. And I assure you that already today, you have happiness in your marriage only to the extent that you are already consciously or subconsciously following this passage. Have I got you interested yet in learning which one it is? Anybody want to know? Yeah, Okay, just making sure. Because if you don't, we can just bypass this and go straight to the invitation. The passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. A passage that we rarely consider having anything to do with marriage. We've heard this passage preached. We've read it before. and We talk about our relationships with one another. But think about this. If this passage applies to our relationships with our brethren, how much more does it apply to our relationship with the One to whom we have devoted our lives? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says to us, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves, and do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We may ask, how does this apply to marriage? Well, we begin by noticing that it tells us do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. We should do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit within this congregation. How much more? Should we do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit within our marriages? If you look up what this term means, we find that the idea of selfishness and empty conceit Is the idea of politicking. The idea of manipulating to put one's own self forward and trying to demonstrate that my ideas are the ones that are important. That what I want are the things that are good. That I am the one who is most important in this relationship. I am the one who is providing more. And how often in marriages do we violate this principle? He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. We violate this principle when we come home and we begin to argue about who had the worst day or who had to work harder. We begin to argue about who ought to do what tonight because of what we did today. We're violating this principle. When we argue about who provides more within the family or whose role is more important, we're violating this principle. Interestingly, this principle is sometimes violated not as the husband and wife talk to one another, but as they talk to other people. As the husband goes to his friends and he points out to them all of his wife's latest problems and all of the things she does to irritate him, as the wife goes to her girlfriends and points out all the things that the husband's been doing wrong, no doubt we'll often say, hey, I know. I know I'm not perfect and I don't do everything right. But let me tell you what my spouse did. What's the point behind that statement? Sure, we pay lip service to our own sins and our own inconsistencies, but are we not trying to point out that we're better than them? Politicking and putting ourselves forward? How often with our children do we want to put ourselves forward as the parent who really loves them? Who really looks out for them? And we start arguing back and forth in the marriage. Politicking. Maneuvering working from selfishness and empty conceit. Paul says, do nothing from these attitudes. Instead of putting ourselves forward as the important ones, instead of doing things that would cause glory to come to ourselves, we're supposed to be humbling ourselves and abasing ourselves and calling forth glory and honor to our spouse. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But rather, with humility of mind, he says, we view the other as more important than ourselves. Do we really view our spouse as more important than us? We need to. Your marriage couldn't survive without your spouse. Your family would fall apart without your spouse. You need to view them as more important. And you need to treat them that way. Instead of trying to put yourself forward as the important one, put them forward as the important one. Let them know how important what they're doing is. Honor and praise them. Get your children to rise up and call them blessed. Demonstrate how important they are and how important what they do in your life and in your family is. Let them know. And I'll tell you, the number one way you can do this is by telling them. The number two is by telling others in their presence and in their absence. Far from complaining and condemning our spouses to others about all the things they're doing wrong, we need to be talking to others about all the things our spouse does right. Honoring and praising them, even when they're not there. Defending them even when others would speak against them. We need to praise and honor. We need to view them as important. They are more important than we are. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by showing interest in their interests, which brings us to Paul's third point. As he says that we need to not merely focus on our own personal interests, but also on the interests of others. We need to focus on our spouse's interests. We need to look at what's important to them. What do they like doing? What do they enjoy? What are they passionate about? Instead of trying to mold them to be like us and like what we like, we should look out for them and their interests. What do they need? What are their concerns? We need to focus on that. If your husband likes fish, likes to go fishing, then learn about fishing and go fishing. your wife likes to the garden, then go out and get a tiller. put out a garden plant some tomatoes find out what it is that your spouse is interested in of course here's the problem and that is is that they're different from us right and sometimes we just can't fathom why on earth would anybody be interested in this I mean there's all kinds of things that folks are interested in and it it just baffles my mind I mean Phil likes golf I mean how do you how can you I think Jimmy does too I don't get it. I don't understand. Of course, I know most of you wives don't get it either, do you? I don't. I don't understand it. But there's all kinds of things because we're different. But in our families, we need to be looking out for the interests of others, for the interests of our spouse. What concerns them? What's important to them? Obviously, for each person, it's going to be different. Maybe for your spouse, what's important to them is that you speak kind and affirming and praising words. Then you better do it. Maybe for your spouse, it's important that you help them with their tasks or their responsibilities. Then you need to help them. Perhaps they wanted you to spend quality time with them, just talking with them, just a few minutes every day. Then you need to do it. Maybe it's important to your spouse that you buy them or bring them little gifts. and you need to do it. Maybe it's important to your spouse that you have affection holding hands, hugging, kissing, just being together and close to one another. If that's important to them, then you need to do it. Look out for their interests. Because their interests are the important ones. And you know, here's the thing. I am absolutely convinced that this is the number one key to having a happy, healthy marriage. Because if each family member, is looking out for the interests of others and is putting that as important to them, then everybody's concerns are being met, aren't they? But instead, what we spend most of our time doing is trying to pull it all to ourselves. We're so afraid we're going to lose out. If I don't look out for number one, who else is going to? I don't have time to look out for my spouse's interests because I've got to look out for mine first. Once i got that accomplished, then I'll go for hers. But then, of course, we're competing, we're arguing, we're fighting, and whose concerns actually get met then? Nobody's. But when I'm able to sacrifice, I start off by looking for what's important to my spouse. That's when things start working out in the marriage. Because guess what she'll be more willing to do? Really, this is an important passage. In our marriage. If we were to follow these three principles in our marriage, you'd be amazed at the things that we could accomplish. I'd just like to share with you six things that following this passage will help with in your marriage. In your marriage, if you follow Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, it'll replace selfishness with service, it'll provide understanding, it will grant significance, it will breed trust and mercy, it will stop hypocrisy, and it will communicate love. Would you like to have those things in your marriage? I think you would. You're only going to have it if you live by Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Following this passage replaces selfishness with service. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28? He said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Paul, here in Philippians chapter 2, as he describes this principle of looking out for others first and not for self, in verse 5 he says, "...have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bond servant." And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had this mindset. He was looking out for others and not for Himself. And what did it cause? It caused Him to be a servant. As He served not only our Father in heaven, but He came down here and He even served us. And that's exactly what will happen in our marriages. Let me ask you wouldn't you like it if your spouse was more of a servant? Wouldn't it make it easier in your life if your spouse served you more faithfully and more readily? Wouldn't it? Come on, be honest. Of course we'd say that. Absolutely. Now, don't you think your spouse feels the exact same way about you? They certainly do. And since this command was written to us... Who do you think ought to start? Far too often what we want to do is say, now look, hon, this passage says you need to be a servant. This passage was written to you, not your spouse. Somebody's got to start. And since this passage is commanding you, how about you do it? Replace selfishness with service. And you'll have a happier marriage. Your spouse will love you for it. Secondly, secondly, It provides understanding. When you're focused on your spouse's interests and you're working to learn what your spouse is interested in and concerned about and what's important to them, what does that provide? It provides understanding. Do you realize how much your spouse wants that? Do you understand how much your husband wants to be understood? How much your wife wants to be understood? Far too often we get into conversations and discussions and we start acting and reacting and trying to provide answers when most of the time, all our spouse wants is understanding. Our wives and our husbands want to know that we view their concerns as valid. That their opinions and their positions as people in our lives has meaning. And that we understand them. They don't always want us to provide them with the answers. They just want to know that we've taken them into consideration and we understand why they feel the way they do. Even if we don't always agree. They don't even necessarily want agreement. They want us to understand. At least take the time to think this through and understand where I'm coming from. And when you work to learn their interests, that is exactly what you're doing. And do you realize when that understanding increases in your marriage... Love increases. Fellowship and communion in your marriage increases. Because you've taken time, instead of expecting everything to be like you and everyone to be like you, you've taken time to understand where they are. And you start acting by what's best for others in your family. When you live by Philippians 2 3 and 4, it provides that understanding. How many of you would like your spouse to be more understanding? Most of you? You know, I can use a little head nodding here. Okay, I mean, I thought I was on the right track, but I didn't know you were looking at me kind of stone-faced. Number three, it grants significance. We talked a little bit about this the other night when we talked about personal work. But let's face it, none of us want to do anything that's unimportant, do we? And none of us wants anyone to believe that we are unimportant We need to know whether we are a husband or a wife that our spouse believes that what we are doing is significant, meaningful, and important. And when we live by Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4, we provide that significance. When we say that you are more important than me what you're doing is more important. And when we treat them that way, honoring them and praising them for the things that they do, it grants that significance. And you know what it makes them do? It makes them want to work all the harder. Because when we know we're doing something significant and important, we'll put our all into it, won't we? Heard the story once of a college dean that was taking some visitors around the campus and introducing them to the various people and On his way, he introduced him to one of the secretaries, and he said, now, this is one of the most important people on our campus. This isn't whatever her name was, and here's her job. And she said, oh, please, important, About the only thing I ever do. The most important thing I do every day is I fill out a report. And he said to her, oh, absolutely not. Do you realize that every possible prospective student, the first person they see here is you? And if they have a good encounter with you, then they view our school as something good. And then they'll probably come... But if they have a bad encounter with you, that translates to the way they view our school. And they won't come. And if we don't have students, no more school. Then I couldn't have my job. And it's all because of you that I get to keep my job. person said immediately, he saw her kind of brighten up, sit up a little bit straighter. Why? Because you see, before that, she thought she was insignificant. She was just a menial assistant or secretary. But he had demonstrated to her, oh no, you've got one of the most important jobs on the campuses, on this campus. Now, can you imagine what our families would be like if we demonstrated to our wives and our husbands, you've got the most important job in this household. It's because of you that we're staying together and things are moving forward. The things that you do every day, from the smallest to the greatest, are important. Please, don't stop. Keep it up. We couldn't go on without you. What if we do that, our marriages would be happy and healthy, wouldn't they? Living by Philippians chapter two verses three through four provides significance because we say what you're doing is important. More important than me. Keep it up. Honor and praise. It breeds trust and mercy. Now we can't understand Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, without also looking at James chapter three. If you look at James chapter three, beginning at verse thirteen, we provide we find a parallel thought that helps us understand what goes along with this kind of attitude of selflessness and service. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, those are the things that Paul said don't have, In Philippians 2, 3 and 4, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. If you've got evil things going on in your marriage, Paul and James are both saying, start looking at your ambition and your empty conceit. Because that's where it all begins. But he says in verse 17, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is in righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A lot of characteristics are going to be there when we're following the principles of Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. We've talked about the gentleness and the peace. But notice that phrase, full of mercy. We would be naive to believe that we can have a sermon on Philippians 2, 3, and 4 we'll even become Christians and after that we're all going to live perfectly in our marriages. It's not going to happen. We're going to make mistakes. But when, as a consistent rule, we've been living by these principles of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do you realize what we've done? We've filled up a bucket of trust and mercy such that when we make those mistakes, our marriages survive and continue on. Some have described it as an emotional bank account that you fill up with love and with trust and with mercy. And when you make a blunder, you're making a withdrawal. And the sad fact is, far too many have made so many withdrawals that the account's in the red. And when you have not been putting deposits in, when you've not been living by Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when you've not been viewing your spouse as more important than looking out for their interests, you've been making withdrawals. And then even just a minor withdrawal can cause major problems. Now think about your bank account. If you kept a buffer of $10,000 in there, you could make a huge mistake, a $9,000 error in your checking account. And it wouldn't cause major problems. You could just go back later and correct it on the ledger, couldn't you? But if you keep a buffer of about five cents, all it takes is a ten cent oversight, and the bank charges you $25, Walmart charges you $25, and that check for ten cents costs you fifty bucks. Right? That's the way it is in your marriage. When we live by Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we've got the big, huge buffer. And sometimes we can make even huge, egregious blunders. But our marriage survives. But if we've been constantly withdrawing, even a minor mistake can destroy the marriage. And we'll sit there and wonder, was it really worth all this? But you see, the marriage fell apart, not because of this one mistake, but because of years of ignoring Philippians 2, 3, and 4. But when we live by it, it builds that bucket up. It builds that account up. And it breeds trust and mercy to help us make it through the difficult times within our marriage. Continuing on, we find out that it stops hypocrisy. There in James chapter 3, verse 17, it pointed out that this wisdom is without hypocrisy. It means that we'll no longer live as hypocrites saying one thing, doing another. It means that we'll no longer be partial to ourselves, but we'll treat our spouses even-handedly. Let me give you an illustration. This is about the only way I can teach this point, and I'll have to use myself as an illustration. Marita and I have been married for about nine years, just a little bit over than that. And for the great majority of our marriage, I'm the one that handles the finances. I pay the bills and balance the checkbook, and I'm the one who decides where we're going to spend money and where we're not. And you know, we had been married about a year, and I discovered that Marita was just always mad at me. Because we never had any money. But you see, the real issue wasn't that we never had any money. The real issue was, is that whenever I viewed something as important and thought that we needed it, I was in control of the checkbook. I'd go buy it. But whenever she thought something was important, if she couldn't convince me of it being important, I'd say, hey, that's a waste of money. And we didn't have money to waste. And so I'd say No. And so, of course, I would get my running shoes, but her dress shoes that, you know, she's got some that, that she's had for about five or six years now since she was, you know, back then, since she'd been in high school and they were kind of falling apart. Well, hey, hun, you know, we don't have money to waste. That's was, that was pretty hypocritical, wasn't it? Yeah. Not dealing even-handedly. Because I'm looking at what's important to me, not what's important to her. But when we live by Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we're much more even handed impartial and it stops the hypocrisy that's not to say that Maria and I just go around spending money now no matter what one of us wants but it says we can stay on a much more even keel with checks and balances and that can happen in so many different aspects of your relationship it stops the hypocrisy and the partiality because why because I'm not looking out for me anymore I'm looking out for you I'm looking out for my spouse and finally it communicates love clearly One of the most amazing things is to talk to a married couple and to hear one of them say, I just think my husband doesn't love me anymore. I just think my wife doesn't love me anymore. And then you talk to the other one and say, you know, I don't understand it. I I tell her I love her all the time. I do this, I do that. I I don't understand it. I'm always, I mean, I clean house for him every day. I'm always doing this. I don't understand how he can say, I don't love him anymore. One of the problems is, is because we communicate love differently. We are different people. And there can be a person that you tell them you love them all day long, but that doesn't register with them. And at the end of the day, they say, you know, you you say you love me, but I just don't think you love me anymore. But when I'm taking the time to understand my spouse, when I'm taking the time to look out for her interests, What am I going to do? I'm going to find out what's important to her. And then I'm going to start doing that. And when I start doing what is important for my spouse, guess what she now understands? I love her. And when I take the time, and when you take the time to understand and be interested in what your spouse is interested in, provide what is most important to them, You may not understand why it's important, but your spouse will know you love them. Whatever it is. Does your spouse think that it's important to have a clean house? Then don't leave your clothes lying around. Put them where they belong. When you get done with a glass of tea, go rinse it out and put it in the dishwasher. Or better yet, wash it yourself and put it back in the cabinet. That's important to them. Does your spouse think it's important to hear words of praise and affirmation? Then find things that they're doing right and tell them. And let them know that you just think they're awesome. Does your spouse think that it's important to have help when they're doing their jobs, and they're do- then get out there and help them. Find what it is that's important to them. That's what Paul said. View their interests as important and your spouse will then know that you love them. Now this is going to be difficult because since we have different backgrounds, we do this differently. But when you view your spouse as more important, what will you do? You'll learn it and you'll live by it. In conclusion, we need to know two things you must never do with this passage. The first thing is you must never use it to manipulate... I'll get it out of here in a second. Manipulate... Your spouse. Oh, it's so easy to look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4 and use it as a technique. Oh, well, today I'm going to pretend like I think my spouse is really, really important so I can get what I want. Who are you still thinking is really important? So. And you know what? Your spouse is smart enough to figure that out. And far from helping you in your marriage, it will destroy your marriage. It'll drive an even deeper wedge. Don't try it as a manipulative tool or a technique. But let me be clear. If you realize today I have not been living by Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I've been selfish and self-centered and viewing myself as more important looking out for my needs and you decide to repent from your sin and change. At first, your spouse will think you're being manipulative. And it's going to take just consistency in deciding to just continue on doing what you're supposed to, no matter what your spouse thinks about it. But in time, in time, your spouse will understand. He really means this. She really means it. But if after just a couple of days of attempting this, your spouse still thinks you're manipulating you, manipulating them, and you quit, all you've done is sealed in their minds. Yep. Just another tool. Don't use it as a manipulative tool. Number two, don't use it to attack your spouse's behavior. Y'all don't know this, but I've been seeing some of you as we go through this sermon. I make a point and you reach over and... Huh? Have some of you been doing that? I know you have. Don't do that. You need to be jabbing yourself. You need to be looking at yourself. Not attacking your spouse's behavior. Because remember, who's this passage written to? passage wasn't written to your spouse. It was written to you. I haven't been talking to your husband and your wife. I've been talking to you. You need to live by Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. No matter what your spouse is doing. Don't go home and attack them and say, Hey, you need to be more of a servant. You being too selfish. Because every time we're doing that, all we're proclaiming is our own selfishness. If we're going to live by this verse... On your way home today, instead of talking about what your spouse needed to hear, you'll let your spouse know, I'm really sorry that I've been such a louse. And I'll quit being so selfish. Help me to serve you better. What's important? What do you need me to do? And start doing it. Don't use it to attack your spouse. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the most important Bible passage in your marriage. If you follow it, I guarantee you, you will have happy, healthy marriages. Hold on. Wait a minute. Y'all are missing this most important point, pulling out your songbooks. If you follow this passage... You will have happy and healthy marriages. I guarantee it. Not because I'm an expert at marriage. You can ask Marita. I am not. And I don't follow this passage very well all the time. But I guarantee you'll have a happier, healthier marriage because God is an expert on marriage.